Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle. Rachel Santizo is not across the table because she is still under the weather. So, Rachel, if you are watching, we hope you feel better. Uh, this is uh, a podcast aimed at uh, just examining in an in a honest and raw fashion uh, what happens with addiction and recovery and hopefully providing hope to people who are, uh, who are still struggling or who have loved ones who are struggling. Our guest today is Roger Gokuritz. Got that right? Yeah. Pronounced it right? Thank you. Um, it strikes me, and I'm, and I'm not being negative toward you at all, but an awful lot of our guests talk about being homeless and growing up in a poor environment and everything, and that is not the case with you. And, and, no. and I want to hear how you grew up and 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 what you've done. But but the point is, I think I think there's a stigma about people suffering from addiction or alcoholism or whatever uh, that it, that it's uh, uh, people in living in poverty or people out on the street or people on the poor side of town. You grew up in Park City. Yeah, describe so, that. I mean, I, I grew up actually in Salt Lake, but then spent most of my life in Park City in my adult years. And uh, yeah, my, like my family, um, my parents are both European, migrated to Utah. Um, I grew up LDS, conservative, upper middle class, had everything kind of provided for me as far as like education and money and traveling and a lot of that. And then as I had mentioned to you, I went even on an LDS mission and kind of, you know, not that I'm any better than anyone, but it's like I had a good like moral compass and values sure. from my family and and knowing kind of like right or wrong. And then somewhere along the line after my mission, life just took a turn. You know, I, I started hanging out with the wrong people. I was up in Park City going to bars, you know, parties. Some of that was work related. And we just, may have run into each other in bars up there. It really is a it, it's an easy it's easy to be in a party scene up there, right? Yeah, definitely. Without any judgment on you, right? Correct. And oh. that and that was a lot of like my problem was just like everything to me was like normalized. And like I had a good job. I, you know, had good education, came from a decent family. So it's like to me, I didn't have a problem. Like I can go to a drink and go party a little bit. And Monday morning I'm back at work. And it's like that seemed okay for about 10 years until alcohol led to a lot of legal issues and problems in my life and like DUIs. Yeah. I got two DUIs that are on my record. One that got dismissed. I ended up getting other charges for driving on suspended license, possession of paraphernalia, marijuana, you know, I, a lot of just, I wouldn't say petty things, but a little, a lot of little things that just added up very quickly in a short period of time. And that's, did the cops know you? Oh, it's Roger oh, again. Yeah. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is, and I don't like say this to pat myself on the back or be negative towards anyone either, but they, they knew me so well in Park City that there were even times they like let me go or like get home safe and walk. And so that also helped me feel like, well, I don't really have a problem or <laughs> I can justify drinking and staying out late because I'm probably not going to get arrested. And then that only lasted so long. And next thing you know, I mean, not every weekend, but it's like fairly regular for about two years. I was being pulled over or questioned, or do you have alcohol in your vehicle or, yeah, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And 
you become a target after a while yeah. when they're aware of you. Yeah. And, I, and the funny thing about what you were saying, I, I've been married and divorced four times, and each of my wives kept saying, you're an alcoholic. And I said, no, I just drink a lot and I enjoy yeah. it. You know, and I don't have a problem, right? That's exactly where I was. Why, why is it so hard? Like the first time uh, I went to a 12-step meeting, I, I said, I, I, the first time I shared, I said, I'm Randall, I'm a, and it was so hard for me to say the word alcoholic. Yeah, I can relate to that too. Why, why is that so hard? Because I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's with like any substances, like one, we're all in denial and you don't want to admit that like you have a problem. And up until I feel like more recently, like having a problem with like substance use or alcohol, there was such a stigma on it that like, you didn't want people to know it like, you know, people wouldn't hire you, you, you know, you shouldn't be driving a car, you know, like a lot of stigma that goes with like, you're not reliable. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the shame and guilt, I think is the biggest thing for me, or maybe any person in recovery or that's still addicted is the the things that society places on us to feel like, you know, you should be ashamed or you should feel guilty about you know, if you have a problem with drinking and, you know, everyone around you, at least with alcohol, can go to the bar and go home and not get DUIs and they take cabs. And I I couldn't do that. I unfortunately, a couple of years into my drinking, if I opened a bottle, I was drinking it most likely alone until I passed out at home. And the next day, somewhere along the line at work, I would find a way to drink at lunch or you know, as soon as I got home, you know, vodka, whiskey, whatever it was. And it's like, that was a sad way that I lived my life for so many years. And I lived it privately that not too many people, including my family, coworkers, even knew that that's how heavily I was drinking. Isolation. Yeah. And so I wasn't, you know, it started out like maybe partying and having a good time and alcohol made me feel great and self-confidence. And then it led to you know, again, the shame and the guilt. And for a good five years, I drank alone. I cried. I was sad. I was lonely. I had no friends. I'd burned bridges, struggling with legal issues, financial issues, uh, divorce, just, you know, you name it, it happened to me. And instead of being vocal about it and asking for help, I was like silently suffering to the point of like the thoughts had crossed my mind of like suicide. Like that that was where I thought I was at almost 10 years ago. I was like, the only way out of this is to maybe just end it. And I I never had a plan. I never really had those thoughts, but there were days where it's like, why can't I just get killed in a car accident and end it? Or, you know, just really sad kind of thoughts. So people don't realize it because it seems like if you're out in public at a bar and you're yuck, yuck, yuck and having fun and everything, they say, oh, he's a happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, but I can, I, I, I was, went through the same things. I'd, I'd black out frequently when I drank. Uh, and deep down inside, I was depressed and lonely and felt, no. you know. Uh, but on the outside, you're, you're, it doesn't look that way. No. And that's just it. Like I was, you know, as you said, going to parties or going to bars. And from the outside, even to my family and close friends at the time, um, and those friends I've learned were not really friends either, but <laughs> I appeared to be happy. Like I seemed to have my, my life together, my finances together, 
living in a decent place, driving a decent car, always smiling and happy. And the reality was, is that's far from how I was feeling. And the only way I could like feel any better at the time was to drink. Um, sure. And that was just to escape and numb and all the, you know, common reasons people drink later on when it becomes a problem. And and you were very successful educationally too. Yeah. Yeah. And even like my career, like not, you know, like the greatest career, but it's like I, I somehow kept full-time jobs that paid pretty well and even was going to work. I wouldn't say drunk, but like hungover and not the ideal employee, but I never let someone down in regards to if you asked me to do something, I was probably going to do it. So, and part of that was maybe I was just trying to save face so that you wouldn't discover that I was really struggling with alcohol right. and other substances and, and you, my life was a mess. And you graduated from, yeah. from the U. Correct. With, yeah. with what kind of? So I went to the U, got a, a bachelor's in mass communication, and then ended up going on to Westminster College and finished that degree in pursuing English and creative writing. So, and then I'm now currently, so career change or like midlife crisis, but a couple of years ago, I decided to go back to school to be a clinical mental health counselor. And I'm about six months away from doing that so that wow. I can help other people now. Wow. What, uh, uh, and I guess you should share the fact, because I don't remember when I ran into Roger, I, I was in, I was a TV anchor for about 40 years. Uh, and my longest stop was the ABC affiliate in Salt Lake City. And you were there when I was there as the main anchor and you were an intern. Yeah, I was an intern for like three months one summer. On on the assignment desk. Yeah, assignment desk and went out with a few reporters and probably wasn't very good or reliable. But like I enjoyed that time and I do remember meeting you. And then it's kind of like, I wouldn't say ironic, but life 20 years later yeah we're sitting here together working for odyssey house so i mean it's great now were you in your addiction back then when you were no there? like that was i mean i at, at that point i'd probably started drinking a little and going to the bars but i was maybe like 22 or 23 just got home from a mission dating a girl and for the most part i think living my life decent it wasn't until my late 20s that my addiction really started to hit me so I was about 28 when I started to heavily drink. And you said, uh, we were laughing about it before we started taping this, that the environment, like working in a TV station or that that whole industry is rather conducive to uh, drinking too much or dr drugging too much. Like, yeah, correct. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the like, you know, parties or yeah. after parties or Sundance or whatever things might have been going on. I seem to feel the need to always be a part of that. And I think part of that was because it was an excuse to drink and be an idiot and get drunk. And that was OK. But that was like my actual normal life for a long time. And I used settings like what you just mentioned as, I think, a reason to drink and be accepted. But. I, I didn't feel that way a lot of the time I was drinking, like, so. Well, you mentioned some other things, Sundance or rock and roll or something. What? Yeah, so I I worked on a few uh, television things and moved out to L.A. for a while. I did some work with Sundance Film Festival and the press department and had, you know, had a career like that. I was hoping, you know, to pursue more of that and the writing and 
you know, be a famous author or something someday. And unfortunately, as with any, uh, you know, addiction, I, I think I limited myself early on in my career by the problems that I started to have and burning bridges and just not being reliable with myself. So it's like all the great writing that I thought I was maybe doing never ended up going anywhere because I never finished it or never got around to finding the publisher or sending it to my agent or whatever might've happened and just kind of like shot myself in the foot. And so from there I ended up, you know, for a long time I went into construction and dealt with, you know, more of that industry. And, and that too was another work environment where like drinking and smoking and whatever was okay when sure. you're on the, you know, not on the job site, but after work, let's yeah go yeah. grab a beer. So it's like, I spent a good 20 years of my life surrounded in an environment where, you know, it was kind of conducive to that. And I, I feel like not to go on a tangent, but like, you know, alcohol and even with like the legalization of marijuana and all these things, like they're, they're great for a lot of people that can handle those things responsibly. But when you put substances like that in the hands of people that are addicts like myself, it makes it very hard to where it's like, I can legally go you know, purchase marijuana or buy liquor or cigarettes or whatever it is, but those are actually very addictive substances to someone like myself. Sure. So, sure. yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, for those of you who can't relate to that, we all, uh, and, and I, I go back to the AA big book sometimes that it's every single alcoholic, no matter where you, you go to any 12 step meeting anywhere, and part of the book says we all yearn to drink like normal people, yeah. you know, and what that means is the ability to go to go out to dinner and have one or two glasses of wine or go to a bar and have one or two drinks. Yeah. As opposed That's, to 30 or 40 and going home totally blotto. Yeah. You know, for me, that wasn't a thing. And speaking of like AA. So I don't remember the exact year and everything but i remember the moment it was on valentine's when i first went to aa so that's coming up on my like sober anniversary um i had the clear impression to go to an aa meeting and up to that point i didn't want anything to do with it i didn't even know what it was same here as you mentioned like my first night going there it's like i'm not an alcoholic um I don't know who these people are. And I definitely <laughs> All a bunch of drugs, not me. Yeah. And for yeah. the longest like time. So I, I started going regular from Valentine's Day on. But for my first like three months of AA, I didn't feel I needed to be there. I felt I had a chip on the shoulder. I felt that's better than everyone. You know, yada, yada, yada. But my sponsor made me come and he made me also call him every single day at three o'clock. And that got really old really quick. But then slowly over time, I started to realize like one, I think the greatest thing for me is like, I found my own higher power, which started to put meaning and purpose into my life. I started to enjoy the meetings. I started to enjoy my sponsor. And now I still almost 10 years later, continue to still go when I can to AA. And I find it so refreshing now. And it's like to, to look at that night and day attitude that I had. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what really changed, but it's like, it's an amazing program, just like Odyssey and other, you know, things throughout the Valley. And, and you ended up going to Odyssey. I did. Yeah. Several years ago, I ended up still realizing I had uh, some problems, needing some coping skills, some maintenance. 
a lot of it for me when I went to Odyssey, I did their outpatient program was I still needed help dealing with like grief and loss, shame and guilt and self-esteem. And Odyssey is where I found that hope. And I, I actually just Googled, did a Google search for treatment and Odyssey happened to accept my insurance. So there was no cost to me at the time. And it, miraculously at the time, there supposedly was a wait list to get into outpatient. And I remember it was roughly like January 4th that I applied for the program. And I believe around January 10th. So like within a week, I got a phone call that like, there was a spot open. Can you start wow. on Friday? So like things in my life with like AA, Odyssey, all that, it's like my higher power, whatever, just started to put things into place as to like, this is the path for your new life. And it wasn't like, wasn't easy. Even when I was going to Odyssey, you know, a few years into my sobriety, I still kind of wasn't convinced that I, I, you know, I was so a sober drunk, but I, you know, wasn't drinking, using or partying anymore, but I still was so lonely mm-hmm. and there was a void still in my life. I still wasn't sure if I was really, you know, an alcoholic, like maybe at some point I could go back to a drink, but then through Odyssey and the program, it made me realize like, yeah, this is like where I belong and this is the path I need. And that, that was a huge pivotal turning point in my life. The Odyssey outpatient program to start helping gear my life to, you know, being more honest, being more reliable getting more involved in like the recovery world. And then, as I said, it led to me, you know, going back to school and now wanting to be a counselor myself. So. And so, so what do you want to do with your future? Is that, is that it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm done with like trying to, you know, maybe someday I'll write a book. I don't know, but it's like, I'm done with the, the trying to be a celebrity and living that life and being a pretend person. I don't want to do construction anymore. It's just too much for me, but it's like, at this point in my life, I think the the revelation to me, my personal just is, is like counseling is like, I need to help other people. And that's part of like the AA model, like the 12th mm-hmm. step is when you are far enough in your recovery, you start to help others. And that's, you know, how I feel my life is meant to be now is it's come full circle. You know, I, I'm out of debt, I'm going to school, I'm in a great, loving, you know, personal relationship with an amazing young lady. Uh, I have a great career. I don't make, you know, the money that I would hope to at this point in my life. But it's like you never every, will. Yeah, I never will. And it's yeah. like if I chase that dream, I'll never be satisfied. Right. And that's, I think, where the counseling and stuff has come in is like every day at work at Odyssey and and where this career path leads me. I'm not sure, but it's like I feel rewarded here. I feel fulfilled here. I can actually connect and relate to people and help others. And at the end of the day, I go home finally feeling good about myself. And you can so sleep at night. I can, yeah. yeah. Without booze. Yeah. Exactly. And you you so work in, the, uh, in our admissions department Correct. right now. Uh, and so uh, for those, try to picture it's, it, it. We have a large room with a desk uh, and that's where all of our people, all of our clients come before they matriculate to a, an IOP, an intensive outpatient program or residential or whatever, what you see a variety of people coming in every day, don't you? Yeah, you, that's for sure. Describe, I mean, everybody is scared, I think, because I, you know, I'm down there sometimes talking to people and, and I was scared when I first went into an IOP program. 
Uh, and I'd be scared if I walked into Odyssey and and, and knew that I had a problem. Yeah. Are, are, do you guys it, try it to allay their fears or? Yeah, I mean, we do the best. I think the admission staff is like really compassionate and caring and shows empathy towards the clients. And we like our whole goal. Uh, and I don't know if this is necessarily like Odyssey's mission, but it's like we try to meet the client like where they're at. Right. And our clients are either coming from, you know, the streets or shelters, jails or prisons. Uh, a small percentage of them come in like self-admit. Right. We have adolescents, you know, the age range is from, you know, 16 or 15 on to 80 year old individuals. <laughs> so it's like there's no discrimination of like age, race, whatever. But like my experience down there is like we do try to talk to the clients and treat them like humans, meet them where they're at and then explain to them like what the program is about. And there's a lot of like misconceptions about, you know, treatment or odyssey or stigma still about, well, if I go to treatment, then I'm definitely an addict or, you know, whatever it is that people still think. But, you know, the the like society and the community are embracing like programs like Odyssey to where there are so many clients that I have, which, I mean, there are days where it like breaks my heart. I go home and cry and I have to do some self-care and go to therapy myself so that I don't carry too much of the client's emotions home with me. And then there are days where like, I am somewhat triggered by some of what they're sharing because I've been there and that's hard to like, you, you got to keep a balance to yourself and not, this is the client's program and recovery and not mine. So you share and disclose what's appropriate when appropriate to help the client where they're at, but it's for the client and to not, you know, like do harm or risk to them. It's their program and their treatment, but we do try to explain it. You know, like this is the expectations this is, you know, we don't want to set you up for faults, you know, right. anything faults or tell you something, promise you something we can't do. And, you know, some are afraid to do it. Some are just there because probation's telling them to, you know, others, like there are the moments where there are genuinely people that I've had in my office that are so grateful that like Odyssey or the judge or whoever gave them the chance to come here and whether they end up succeeding the first time or five times later, I get to see or hear the whole story of a lot of people. I see a lot of the same people in and out of the door, which is hard, sure. but it's like, Hey, they're trying and they're coming back. And then I get to see, the successes too, and hear about the people that graduate, whether it's through the emails or inviting to be invited to their graduation. Right. And that's the most rewarding part about the admissions process is like, you know, every day it's chaotic and stressful and this and that and emotional, but then it's like, we're doing this for a purpose and everyone's on the same like path, you know, like, yeah. And it's yeah. amazing. And for me in recovery, I think that's the greatest thing about the recoveries. One, I feel like I'm giving back. And two, it's like, it keeps me humble every day to know that like, I came from a good environment. I can give back. I don't need to carry like the shame and guilt anymore. And I very well, you know, I was like this close to being like homeless myself or living in my car you know, and so it's like, I'm no better than any of our clients. Right. And that keeps me humble every day, I think, to help me in my own recovery. So my problem, and I'm not a therapist, so I only meet our clients peripherally by doing a podcast or speaking to them or something like that. I, and I know you're not supposed to get personally involved, 
but there are just some clients that just they just seem to click with you and, and, and you have a special feeling for them and you want to see them succeed. Yeah. And, and, and I find it very hard when I've, when I've gotten to know a client who I think is going to just do great things and I hear they didn't succeed. Yeah, and that's, I, I have that's trouble hard. dealing with that. <laughs> I do as well. Like, that's heartbreaking and I'm not sure, you know, like even maybe <clears> the clients that end up, not ever coming back or perhaps you know their lives go down a darker path and and that is like heartbreaking or for me it's also like encouraging you know when i check like our schedule in the morning at admissions i get to see the clients names you know maybe several days prior to their coming and there's always names i maybe recognize and it's like hey i'm so happy that this person's right coming back again and that they're still alive and they still care and they're still trying, but it it is, it's like, um, any program out there like Odyssey, it's an emotional thing. And I know, you know, as I enter into like the counseling path, it's hard to like, not want to disclose and share and get personal with the client. Cause that's now, as I enter in that, that field, I need to maintain like ethical standards. But there are days, as, as you just mentioned, that where I go home with a heavy heart yeah. for a certain client or I've really connected to a client and they whether they succeed or fail, I have to keep some of that joy or disappointment inside yeah. Yeah. so that I can be there for like myself, my family and the next client. Um, the flip side is when you do go to a graduation and you see people succeed or they come back and work for Odyssey or you see them go on to do big things in the world, you know, that's, that's the big payback for doing yeah. the job that we do. Yeah, know, definitely. It's, it's, it's just, so can you answer the question now? Are you an alcoholic? I definitely am an alcoholic, but I'm so also, you can say that, yeah, right? I'm also proud to say that like, I'm an alcoholic that's not being like stupid anymore and found like a better path. I, I always say I'm, I'm in an alcoholic in long-term recovery Yeah, and you and I almost have the same amount of time, 10 years. Are you still tempted to drink? No, like the amazing thing about that is my first few years in recovery, the thought crossed my mind. And a lot of that was because of I was very lonely and, you know, I, I disengaged from everything from my past and social media and a lot of that stuff so that I could stay sober. So I spent a good like two years of my recovery kind of lonely. So there were always thoughts and temptations of like, calling a friend back or going on Facebook or doing something, but I never did. And now this many years later, the thought is just no longer there. Like you could, you could offer me whatever it is, set alcohol or whatever on the table. And and I would tell you, no, and that wouldn't even be a question. Like there's no, nothing that would get me to go back to that ever again. And there's no temptation left in my body about that. I always, I, I, I think about it occasionally, very occasionally, but I always play the tape yeah. and I think, okay, this is the way my life was when I was deeply involved in drinking and this is the way my life is now and I like the way my life is now yeah. a lot better. And I, th- I think that's what keeps me from having those thoughts is like, my life right now is so great compared to what it was that I, I think that that's why I'm not even tempted because I know that the minute I stepped into a bar or went to a barbecue where there was alcohol yeah. or something, this great life that I have would end. And like, this is the best my life's ever been. So 
you're never going to be a star or rock and no. roll or but that's not what life is i've come to find out it's like finding purpose and meaning in your life and helping people along the way so good luck in your future yeah thank you do great things for a lot of people thank you roger for being our guest today rachel we'd like to have (laughs) you back sometime i'm just sort of imagining she's there and thank you for watching or listening to another edition of odyssey house journals (music) 